Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Life Study emphasizes the capital L life that can be found in the scriptures. Jesus himself said in John 6:63, "The words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life." This is the fruit of over 70 years of ministry by Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Watchman Nee began his ministry in China in the 1920s and it continued until his imprisonment and eventual martyrdom in the 1970s. Witness Lee brought this ministry to the United States in 1962 and began speaking these life study messages in 1974, completing it in 1995. To find out more, you can visit our website, lifestudy.com. Again, that's lifestudy.com. Now, let's join today's program. Throughout the ages, many people have suffered for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Among these, the Apostle Paul stands prominently. In fact, in many of his epistles, there are specific references and even details regarding not only his suffering, but also the suffering that we may experience as well. Philippians gives us such an account, not just of the suffering because of his willingness to preach the gospel in a general way. Today, on our Life Study of the Bible, we will see Paul as an example, not just of suffering, but as one who also had the enjoyment of grace under suffering and the high gospel for which he suffered. Joining us today is Ron Kangas. Ron, this phrase, enjoyment of grace under suffering, uh, almost sounds like a contradiction to our natural ears, doesn't it? To our natural ears, virtually everything in the Word of God comes across as a contradiction, which underscores the great peril of clinging to a natural understanding of anything. We shouldn't have a natural understanding of the gospel or of suffering related to the gospel or of grace under suffering. Actually, if we consider the divine revelation and we consider the genuine and normal Christian spiritual experience, we will see that grace and suffering very often go together. So to speak of grace under suffering is to speak of something divinely normal in the life of an overcoming Christian. Well, certainly Philippians gives us the account of one who was an overcoming believer and uh, to such an extent that he really is a worthy pattern for us. Let's join Witness Lee. I think he'll put an emphasis on Paul's bonds that he suffered for the defense and confirmation of this high gospel. To suffer for the gospel is to take care of the interest for the accomplishment of God's economy. In all post writings, you could see he was one who suffered for the gospel, but not in a superficial meaning. He suffered for the gospel in the sense that he was there, carrying out God's economy. What the Apostle Paul was doing there, just to tell people that Jesus is your Savior, if you believe in him, you will go to heaven. Do you believe that Apostle Paul 
suffered for such a low gospel? No. If he was just preaching such a low gospel, I don't think he needed to suffer anything. Why he suffered for the gospel? Because the gospel he carried out was not one so low. He carried out a gospel that renounced annulled religion, law, culture, ordinances, customs, habits, isms. The gospel he preached just killed, slaughtered everything. Yet, the very gospel he preached was termed by him the gospel of peace. He said, the gospel I preach to you is the gospel of peace. Well, Ron, according to Paul's own terminology, his gospel was the gospel of peace. Yet it seems that what he experienced outwardly on account of preaching such a gospel was anything but peaceful. It's common knowledge, Ron, that Paul suffered on account of this gospel. But I think what is not as commonly realized that his suffering was due to one primary factor, and that is he was one who was on this earth exclusively for God's interests and for God's economy. How does this compare with the general or common notion that Paul suffered simply because he preached the gospel? The general or common notion, as I understand it, of suffering because of preaching the gospel is you suffer a certain amount of ridicule or rejection by people who have no interest in what you want to say. And I won't deny that that is a kind of suffering. But as the segment from Brother Lee points out, Overall, if you tell people that Jesus died for their sins, that they may be forgiven and then have eternal life in heaven, this doesn't arouse a lot of enmity. But the gospel Paul preached actually included the contents of God's eternal economy, which involves the triune God processed and consummated to be dispensed into us to produce in and with us a corporate expression of the triune God in Christ. And that expression is the church, the body of Christ, consummating in the new Jerusalem. This is something opposed by God's enemy. He does not want to relinquish his uh, reign over the earthly kingdoms. And he uses religion and culture and philosophy and other means to try to stamp out this kind of preaching. The basic point of what we're trying to say here is that the gospel Paul preached, involving as it did God's economy, was a gospel preached by a person who was on the earth for God's interests. He had no self-interest. The gospel he announced was the word from God related to the carrying out of God's eternal purpose. And that is why he suffered. We know from the study of history, we know from our own experience, there is a great, not only quantitative, but qualitative difference in the kind of suffering one undergoes when you preach the full gospel revealed in the New Testament concerning God's economy. Today, one can preach a kind of watered-down, sugar-coated version of the gospel, 
that does not arouse much opposition from God's enemy. But when the full revelation of God's economy as the content of the gospel is proclaimed, that provokes the anger, the rage of the enemy. So much so that the Lord Jesus himself said of religious people, the time is coming when they will kill you and think they're serving God by so doing. Well, Paul suffered from the hands of religion. He suffered from the hands of politics. He suffered because he was one with God. Anyone who is truly one with God to announce what God calls the gospel of God will suffer as he or she stands on this earth for God's interests. There is a way of preaching the gospel that really dilutes it. But the gospel Paul preached was a gospel full of divine content. And that kind of gospel can be preached only by someone who, in Christ, stands on the earth absolutely for God. The gospel Paul preached annihilated philosophy. It annihilated systematized religion. It annihilated the human concept about life. Human beings go to war over religious and political views. Well, Paul did not go to war in that sense, but the word from God released through him, nullifying so many things in human society, that resulted in a lot of suffering, and he was prepared by the Lord's sufficient grace to go through whatever he needed to do to stand on the earth for the gospel of God. Ron, let's go back to Witness Lee and hear more specifically about this defense and confirmation of the gospel. Wait! The suffering of the gospel always is the enjoyment of grace. If you have never suffered for God's economy, I don't believe you have ever enjoyed that much grace. Actually, all sufferings for God's economy on this earth bring quite an amount of grace to you. The enjoyment of grace is for the suffering of the gospel. What is the enjoyment of grace? That is the real experience of Christ. The enjoyment of grace is just the experience of Christ. Those who preach a kind of a gospel pleasing people, I don't believe they know the enjoyment of Christ. Paul, when he was on this earth, he had no choice. Many were preaching Christ there, but not one was confirming the gospel. He suffered not because he preached the gospel, but because he defended the gospel. The gospel is God's economy. The gospel is God's move according to his eternal purpose. But many preachers brought in other things to pervert this gospel of God's economy and to distort this gospel of God's economy and pass to them. No! No! Get Judaism out of God's gospel. Get Greek philosophy out of God's economy. He stood there to defend the gospel. Not only so, 
He also confirmed the gospel. What is the confirmation of the gospel? The confirmation of the gospel is that God's gospel is to have two mysteries to carry out. The mystery of God, that's Christ, to carry out. And the mystery of Christ, that the church, to carry out. It was he who unveiled the two great mysteries. One is the mystery of God, that is Christ. The other is the mystery of Christ, that is the church. No other apostle unveiled these two mysteries so accurately as the apostle Paul did. Surely, his teaching, his preaching, was a confirmation of God's economy. Ron, I appreciate this clear speaking. The defense of the gospel dealt with some negative things, which we've already talked about to some degree. This annulment or this annihilation, as you put it, of uh, culture, philosophy, religion. But positively, there's a confirmation of these two great mysteries. Talk a little bit about this positive confirmation. When you mention confirmation in relation to the mysteries, we are brought to the heart of the content of the gospel committed to Paul. He says in one of his other epistles that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. And that word steward is related to the carrying out of God's economy. Paul in Ephesians speaks of the great mystery. In 1 Timothy, of the mystery of the faith. In Colossians, of the mystery of God. And elsewhere, of the mystery of Christ. This is the intrinsic content of his gospel. And it is the embodiment and expression of the eternal thought of God related to his heart's desire and his eternal purpose. So the first mystery of these two is Christ as the mystery of God, or the mystery of God, Christ, which means in essence that apart from Christ, God is not known. Christ is the revelation of God and the story of God, and the way to know God is in and through Christ. Then we have a second mystery called the mystery of Christ, Well, the mystery of Christ is not Christ himself. Just as Christ is the mystery of God, the church is the mystery of Christ because the church is the embodiment and expression of Christ. So if we want to know Christ in fullness, we must contact the proper church as his expression. There, Christ is expressed. We have the mystery of Christ, the church. And in Christ, God is known, so we have the mystery of God, Christ. These two mysteries, which together make up the great mystery in Ephesians 5, Christ and the church, require a great deal of confirmation on the positive side. The thought is divine, high, transcendent, The content here is not something in human culture or philosophy. It's not something in religion. So it needs not only to be heralded in an initial way, it needs very active, I would say aggressive, affirmation and confirmation. So Paul, on the one hand, was defending the gospel from 
perversion, from distortion, from heresy. And then on the other side, he realized this kind of word needs to be confirmed. And he knew he was set there, assigned there where he was for both the defense and confirmation of the gospel. There are so-called ministries today that regard themselves as defenders of the gospel. But there is a great lack today among believers of the confirmation of the gospel preached by Paul, the content of which is Christ as the mystery of God and the church as the mystery of Christ. We read Philippians 1, verses 7 and 8 at the beginning of the program today. Now we touched in that opening also a phrase in these verses. It says, you are all fellow partakers with me of grace. And the second phrase is, I long after you all in the inward parts of Christ Jesus. Let's go back to Witness Lee for our final portion today. We want to see something very specific regarding the partaking of grace in the inward parts of Christ. Paul's suffering was the carrying out of God's economy on this earth. Then he had the enjoyment of grace. And grace is just the triune God process for our enjoyment. And Paul endured all the sufferings just by this grace. By this way, he experienced the inward part of Christ. It's hard for us to join the two verses 7 and 8 together. You all have to realize these two verses should not be separate. Why? Because between these two verses, you have the word for. Let me read to you again. Both in my bond and defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For. For is a conjunction. For God is my witness. How I long after you all in the inward part of Christ. So, in these two verses, enjoy grace in the inward part of Christ. This is not only kind of enjoyment, but also kind of living. This is to live Christ. To live Christ is to remain in the inward part of Christ and enjoy him at the grace there. Because this book doesn't touch doctrine. The writer presents us his experience. You put this into experience. That is to remain in the inward part of Christ. What does this mean? This simply means to abide in Christ. To be one in Christ. You have to be in the inward part of Christ. You have to be in his failing. You have to be in his tenderness. You have to be in his tender heart. You have to be in his inward part. When you are here remaining, you enjoy him as the grace. And all your co-partakers join the same thing. What is this, dear ones? This is nothing but the very experience of Christ. 
in a practical way. Ron, we saw in our first two programs uh, as we began this life study of Philippians that this is a book focused on the experience of Christ. And here we really get into that in a very deep and uh, penetrating way. I think this connects with another expression in chapter 1 when Paul says, For me to live is Christ. What does it mean, Ron, experientially, to live Christ by remaining in the inward parts of Christ? As I respond to your question, I just have to point out something about grace as it relates to the confirmation of the gospel. So many Christians today are content with a superficial theological notion of grace, that is, the unmerited favor of God. Uh, Who would say that this is incorrect? I would not say that, but I would say it's elementary, it is infantile, it is superficial, and it is theological. When Paul is here speaking of partaking of grace, he is not talking about unmerited favor. He's talking about the triune God himself in Christ as the Spirit processed and consummated to be his all-inclusive supply. This is the same grace that he spoke of in Second Corinthians 12 in relation to his piercing thorn. And the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you. Is the Lord saying my unmerited favor is sufficient for you? That's too objective, too theological when you have a thorn. Likewise, it's too objective and too theological when you're suffering for the full gospel of God. Now, Paul was partaking of Christ himself as his sufficient grace. And he did so by being deeply one organically with Christ, abiding in Christ in such a way that he was in the inward parts of Christ Jesus. Paul lived in the inward parts, the inner being, the most delicate, tender aspects of Christ's person. Paul lived there. And by being one with Christ in the inward parts of Christ, Paul enjoyed Christ in such a sweet way, in such a deep way. And here he partook of grace. And this was the secret source of his supply. Paul's partaking of grace was rooted in his organic union with Christ his continual abiding in Christ. No wonder he said that he wanted to be found in Christ. He was deeply in Christ, even in the inward parts of Christ. He knew how Christ thought, how he felt. He knew the Lord's concern for his church. And being one with the Lord in this way, in the midst of suffering, Paul received the dispensing of grace all-sufficient, and out of that he could carry out his ministry for the defense and confirmation of the gospel of God, which gospel is God's economy. Marvelous fellowship from our brother, and I enjoyed our fellowship as well. Thank you, Ron. You're welcome. 
Uh, we're out of time. Let me leave you with our toll-free number. We'd love to uh, fellowship with you about these very points and your appreciation of them. You can reach us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Our mailing address, Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. For Ron Kingus today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. The focus of Living Stream is the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China in the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Witness Lee brought this ministry first to Taiwan, then later to North America and eventually to the entire world. For more than 20 years, he spoke these life study messages, unveiling how each book of the Bible shows God's eternal plan. God, through Christ, wants to dispense his life and nature into redeemed man so that man would become God's expression, enlargement, counterpart, and habitation. These studies go far beyond mere doctrine and unveil a personal, practical, and experiential Christ. In these short 26-minute programs, we summarize and condense Witness Lee's rich speaking. But to enjoy all the riches in these messages, we hope you'll visit our website at lifestudy.com. There, you can read all of the Life Study messages absolutely free of charge. You can even create your own Life Study reading schedule or download more Life Study audio programs just like this one, and all at no cost. Again, the website, lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening.